Tonight, I can report to the American people and to the world that the United States has conducted an operation that killed Osama bin Laden. Where we continue to follow the capture and killing of Osama bin Laden now. Those are just some of the scenes overnight as thousands of Americans gathered in celebration of Osama bin Laden's death. Former Navy SEAL Rob O'Neill says he has thought about the mission every day since that May Day in 2011. From multiple conversations you had with Rob O'Neill over the past year and a half, how'd you get And you described that his head kind of exploded yes. when you hit I, him. Yes, I actually hit him three times because I shot him twice when he was standing and once on the ground. That is the fucking American badass. Go, go, go. We are not going for fame and we are not going for bravado. We are going for the single mom who dropped her kids off at elementary school on a Tuesday morning, and then 45 minutes later, she jumped to her death out of a skyscraper. If you need help, hang up and then dial your operator. I'm Rob O'Neill, and this is the Operator Podcast. Welcome to episode nine of the Operator Podcast. It's me as a former Navy SEAL operator talking to you, whatever you're doing now as an operator, and we're going to discuss stuff. We're going to talk about things, and like I remind people all the time, I do take input. I look at the comments, mostly on Instagram at, at uh, The Operator Podcast, or at Makuya, or at RJ Apparel. I sometimes look at Twitter, but those fucking bots until Elon Musk takes over. I don't know. I don't know where those negative Nancy's come from. Boy, they're just rude. I'm not even sure they're real people. If you've been on Twitter and read the comments, if you're having a good day, don't. And if you're having a bad day, don't, because it could turn into something worse. Um, but the point of one operator to another operator, something that I learned, I actually recognized early on in my naval career was that it really doesn't matter what you look like or where you're from. You can do anything you want as long as you keep your mind in it, as long as you keep a positive attitude. And, uh, you know, not an unrealistic attitude. Like, we're seeing a lot of that right now. We're in a point in our world where you need to justify facts and say why you said that, and then your dreams or, or your fantasies are reality. And if you insult anybody, you get called a name or you get canceled. Um, we can get into that a little later, I guess. Um, but if, if, you, if, you keep a, if you keep a good sense of humor... Uh, and you realize that if you do it one step at a time, if you achieve your long-term goals by doing short-term goals, then you can do anything. One one foot in front of the other. It's that simple. Get out of bed in the morning. If you're having a bad day, get out of bed in the morning. Don't stay in bed. Uh, I give I give speeches mostly around the country, but I have done speeches around the world. And I talk to different companies, everything from bankers and CEOs of major companies to managers of certain places to salespeople. And they want to hear why the teams that I was a part of were successful, why our high-performance team work and the traits that were common. And we, we kept it pretty simple. One of the main reasons that we were good is because we were good to each other. We had respect for each other. You do, you know, you do need to give respect to earn, to earn it, but we, um, I had a boss, for example, who would say please and thank you for normal work sometimes. Just to let people know that you know th their work was appreciated. You certainly don't need to do that shit in the military, but he would. And when you when you would fuck up, which I did, and don't bullshit yourself. Everybody fucks up pretty much every single day. Instead of even at SEAL Team Six, instead of yelling at me, like you know you did something wrong, you can see him coming over, and you're ready to take an ass chewing. But me, like most people, I would 
get ready to get defensive and defend myself. And he would just say, you know what? You're better than that. I expected more. And like that, you're like, oh my God, I'm never going to do that again. You learn from something like that. But uh, if people want to be there, they're going to work harder. And you don't need to kiss anybody's asses, but try to figure out, we, we've mentioned before, putting yourself in someone else's shoes and realizing they're a vessel on their journey wherever it is. If you can make that journey better for them or, or try to get some of their some of their goals common with your team's goals, obviously the team's goal is the first thing you want to get done. It's like anything when you, when you clean up, you do every, all the team gear first, then your personal gear, and then you clean yourself but if, if, we, if we know the common goal, we want to get somewhere and want to be successful and people like being there, that's cool. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with the occasional, uh, I don't know, maybe sometimes I was too big of a smart ass, but there's nothing wrong with joking once in a while just to make people laugh. I can think of one. I had a buddy who uh, was actually my team leader, and this is when I was at Red Team at SEAL Team 6, and we just finished a... a deployment to Afghanistan. We didn't lose anybody. We're home. And I mean, like, we landed at Oceana, air station. The buses picked us up. We took the buses over to the command. We went up to the second deck that we call it where our big team office is. If, if you could picture like a, it's like an office with cubicles almost. We went up there and like we're dropping stuff off or putting paperwork away and then, and we want to go home. We want to see our kids. Every, you know, you kind of get the round uh, circle round thing where the boss puts the word out and um, you get to go home at least for the night for crying out loud. So we're getting ready to leave and one of my guys said, uh, Hey, now quick, let's talk about travel claims. I want to explain a few things. And what a travel claim is, it's something that you fill out when you're done traveling. And it says where you went, everything from you know the, the, um, the distance from home to work. And you write their mileage down and they'll reimburse you for whatever gas that was. I'm assuming that's more now because gas is so ridiculous and it's going up. Then um, you, know, you put your in transit somewhere to somewhere else. And then... Um, on station or whatever, where you are. In this case, it would be Afghanistan. And then you, you do the thing in reverse and then home and it's mission complete. And they kind of add that up. They add up your mileage. They add up your per diem and um, how much you're going to get in a travel claim in like two weeks or whatever when they go through it and then they pay you. And nobody gives a shit right now. We just got home. We just got to the base. We just want to go home and see our families. And, and this, my team leader stops everyone and is like, okay, everyone, if you do this, and by the way, here, go this. And he's explaining the shit. Nobody cares. And he's got the entire squadron in there. And he's like, yeah, so blah, 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 do this. And, you know, you're going to save however many pennies. And that was it. So we're kind of looking around. And I said, hey, guys, I got one more thing real quick. And don't ever believe that shit real quick. I hear two lies every single day. Hey, real quick and one more. That's all bullshit. But I said, guys, real quick, listen up. And they're all pissed because they just listened to that stupid little travel claim thing for no reason when they could be on their way home. And I said, uh, on, and this is back you know, when there were still pay phones, so bear with me. And I said, uh, on your way home, guys, when you're driving, if you, see a pay home, pay, if you see a pay phone on your way home, you should pull over. Get out and put your finger in the, in the little change slot. There could be a quarter in there. You can keep that shit. And I got a few laughs. I, I think it was appreciated, but uh, there's nothing wrong with keeping a sense of humor, especially when it gets shitty. Um, if morale is high, the team is gonna, the team's gonna be better. Don't be a complete smartass. If you're not funny, you need to realize it. you can always tell someone who's not funny but thinks they are if they say some stupid shit and say, oh, "I'm just so sarcastic." Now you're a fucking idiot. Knock it off. You shouldn't need to explain your. If you need to explain your jokes, you need to rewrite your jokes. So anyway, um, the point I was making though is we're all from somewhere. We, um, everyone that I've met in the military, and it doesn't matter which branch. Everyone, the first day, especially the first night when you're in your, in your brand new bed 
in your bunk bed, wherever, Marine Corps boot camp or, or uh, Navy boot camp or Army basic training, your first night, everyone says, did I just make the biggest mistake of my fucking life? I can't believe how bad I screwed up. For me, it was on the bus when we went from uh, from the airport over to Great Lakes, Illinois, and I saw the dudes out there yelling at people, and it's like, what the fuck was I thinking? It, 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 it's a horrible decision, but no matter what, and you got to remember this, it really doesn't matter where you are, you're going to get used to it. There's no need to freak out. You got to chill. Um, I, I, just got, um, I just got an MRI done, and that's where they put you in that torpedo tube head first, and you're in like a, just this tall, tight space. And naturally, the, um, the guy running it was telling me uh, something about submarines. Yeah, I had a guy that did 20 years on subs, and he got out of this thing, boy, and he told me he'd rather do another 20 years on subs and get back in that MRI machine. I was like, all right, okay, let's, let's do it. And, you know, you get in there, it sucks. But you, you need to get, you know, just whenever you're in a shitty position, put yourself in a different place. I mentioned counting before. When we flew in 90 minutes to Osama bin Laden's house, we can get shot down by a missile at any time. But worrying about the missile is not going to stop the missile, is it? So stop worrying about it. Stop wasting your energy. And so uh, I was in there, and what? And it's not like uh, I'm going to freak out. I think I'm going to be fine. I, I, I like to think that I um, make... I, I handle stressful situations well. I'll flip out about little stuff, but stressful situations I can handle. So I just I just started counting. I want to see how many times I could count to 100 and back. And I got to like 800 and something, and he pulled me out, whatever. But the point I'm getting at is where you wherever you are, you're going to get used to it. When we would go to Afghanistan, I mean, where, wherever you're living at an outstation or on one of the bases, the bases are easier because you got so much nice shit there. Um, uh, it sucks the first few days. If you go to a different spot, you're living in a different tight, cramped quarters. Even out in the field, it sucks. You get used to it. You're going to get used to it. Chill out. Take a breath. Calm down. Slow your breathing. You're going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. Uh, I talked to uh, a dude I know that was in prison. And he said it sucked, man. The first day, you got your stuff in your hands. You're walking down the... You know, you've seen it in movies. You're walking to your place, and the other inmates see... Like, you don't even have a name. They call you inmate. And nobody sees you. Uh, um, no, I'm sorry. Everybody has been there. Everybody sees you, and they just start yelling at the fish. The new fish are yelling at you and whistling, just trying to see if you'll crack. I guess you know how to board them. And, and uh, he said, "Yeah, it sucks. You get, you get your cell, you get your cellmate, and you sit down, and and then you just sort of get used to it. You have your routine. Get in your routine. You do it every day. I mean, it's, it sucks." And he reiterated that thing. It was in a movie when they said, uh, "He said, uh, yeah, I was talking to one of my guys. I was in the joint with, and uh, I still to this day don't know what he did." And it was one of those things where they say, yeah, no one ever did anything. You got to ask them, uh, what, uh, what, is, what were you accused of? And the answer is, lawyer fucked me. <laughs> but um, you're going to get used to it, and it moves on. You, you, you move on. You get on with your life. I mean, unless you're doing life, I guess, um, um, you, you're gonna, you better get used to it. But it's, it's like uh, right now with the military. Someone will say, oh, this is Rob O'Neill. He's a former Navy SEAL. Oh, wait, sorry. Once a SEAL, always a SEAL. No. I'm no longer a Navy SEAL. I was. I'm no longer a high school student, but I went. I was and I'm out. It's different now. I do something else. I don't want to be defined by something I did in the past. I would. I mean, I'm not a SEAL now, but I'm someone who knows how to work with a team. I'd like to think that. I, t- I tell salespeople that uh, you, it, along with morale, it's important to realize the people that are actually doing the work because the salesman's not making the product. Like, say, you know, if you're selling radios, there's someone back there that's doing the electronics. Someone's putting the buttons on the damn thing. Do we still have radios? Some shit like that. 
Uh, and then they, it goes down the assembly line or whatever, and there's uh, the safety checks, and then there's the uh, test for performance. Then they give it to the salesman, and then the salesman goes and sells the damn thing. And I tell them that we were good at that. We were really good salesmen. We're, our product was intelligence, and, well, in our case, the customer is always wrong, but it's, it's part of a team, and uh, now I'm not doing it anymore. You know, like, I remember uh, you've been afraid. Everyone, everyone that's anywhere has been afraid. A- anyone... Their first day on the job, the first day anywhere, like I was just saying, you're, you're going to be afraid, but you're going to get used to it. Your first day in high school, I remember, I remember my first day in high school because we went from a junior high school, eighth grade, uh, the king shits, and, and then you're, now you're the low, the low man in ninth grade as a freshman. I went in there, I was scared. I remember I had a teacher tell me I needed to shave, which I think she's full of shit, but you need to shave when you're in high school, but then you get used to it. Uh, then you, you, know, you get another year and there's new fish to freshman the next year, and then you, you get on with it, and then you go to college. If you go to college, if not, you go to a technical school or you get a fucking job. You're, you're nervous on your first day, and it doesn't matter if you're the CEO of a company or you're the Navy SEAL in bin Laden's bedroom. You've had your first day, and you've been scared. But you get used to it. You get good at it. You get proficient. You learn stuff. Don't be afraid to ask a question. That's a good way to learn. Ask a question. You ever been in a room where um, someone says, does everyone understand? Who, who has questions? And no one raises their hand because no one wants to stand out. If you have a question, ask the question. Take the shot. Ask her out. That whole shit. I remember dealing with a with a, one of the women at the CIA in some sort of a brief, and um, someone said the guy giving the class said, "Are there any questions?" And she raised her hand and said, "Yes, I don't understand that." And he said, "What?" She said, "Any of it. I don't understand any of it. Tell that again. If you don't know, you don't know. Ask the question. I learned that. Um, so you get used to that. You get to college. You get to your job, and then um, do your job. Ask a question. Don't be afraid to uh, to do that. Don't be afraid to ask your boss or the professor or whatever. I remember my very first day of college was a um, psychology class, and um, the professor was actually giving us this talk. And he said he 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 was in uh, he was actually a Vietnam vet, and he he did lose an arm in Vietnam, and he says no bullshit. And um, he was telling us about, if you have a question, just ask. He said, when we were in a really bad fight in a rice paddy, I simply, we're taking bullets and shit's blowing up everywhere. And I picked up the radio and just said, what the fuck, over? That's, that makes sense. That's a damn good question. That is a good question. What the fuck, man? Um, I've had helicopter pilots tell that to me, too. Just, this is bullshit. Just to kind of, to calm everyone down. If you keep your head in it, you, hopefully you'll get used to it. If you don't get used to it and you find out what's in the other world, let me know. But, um, yeah, so it's like that. It's with... Um, it's with the work. It's with uh, different, um, any different environment. I went to first day of Buds. I was at Buds, and it was scary. And you see other guys, and you look around. And realize, too, like I was saying about everyone's pretty much the same. It doesn't matter what you look like or where you're from. We're all pretty much the same. Just get over that uh, um, someone from some different city is better than me. No, they're not. We've talked about the one percenters before. Yeah, there's the one percenters, but, but the rest of us are pretty much the same. Just don't get in your head. There's um there at Buds they would they would uh, all you have to do to quit SEAL training, basic underwater demolition SEAL training or Buds is go to a bell that's always right there and quit. Uh, ring it three times and you're done. And the nightmare ends. And you can end it. You can end all the pain. Uh, but other students would look at other students who were the loudmouths and think that they're the toughest guy in the world. When that fucking loudmouth quits, they think, well, if he's not good enough, I'm not good enough. And they just follow him. I used to call it sympathetic quitting. They would see him quit and think, well, I guess I can't do it. That's bullshit. Yes, you can. You ever see the movies where they, uh, like SEAL movies, when someone's going to quit and they will start yelling at him, no, don't do it, don't quit. I'm like, fuck them, quit. More for me. Fuck that guy. You don't, plus, you don't want to need to, you shouldn't need to talk someone out of it anyway. I mean, if you can, you can, whatever. But 
you know, the first few days of buds, people would run and quit. And just, just, I'm thinking about the next meal. I got to get to there. I got to do this ocean swim. The ocean swims again were nice because no one's yelling at you in the ocean. No one's yelling at you when your hands are tied behind your back and your feet together, and you're in the in the deep end of a pool. Um, but other times they're yelling at you, and it sucks. But just get through it. If they're yelling at you, get done with it. Get done with the yelling and the finish. If they're, they're beating you, get done with the beating. Let them beat you until they can't anymore, and then you're done. And maybe you get used to that. Be, get, pain sucks, but you're going to get used to it. So, uh, but yeah, the, so the first day of buds, and then you get into second phase. And then, the, like the first time getting uh, scuba gear on, it's scary. It's not normal to get underwater, and people freak out. And once you get in your own head, you're going to start freaking out. But you got to realize that panicking is never going to help you. So you got to stop panicking. And how do we do that? Just start breathing again. Counting, counting your breathing. Slow down. Watch, you know, watch, watch yourself breathe. Listen to it. Listen to the cadence of your breath. Count how many three in, three out, and breathe, and slow down. If you want to be fast, slow down. If, if you want to be good at something, slow down. When, when you need it and the adrenaline kicks in, you're going to be fine. You won't feel the, the recoil of your pistol going off. Calm yourself down. But we got to second phase. You get used to that. You get, I mean, you get used to it sucking because we make everything suck. Then you get into third phase. Um, we're used to being on San Diego. We're in third phase with the red helmets. That means you're in third phase. You got your brown shirt. It means you've been through hell week. You're a king of the shit. Then they fly to San Clemente Island, and that's your first day out there, and it sucks again. But you get used to it. 40 straight days of suck. I don't know why they don't talk about San Clemente Island more. That, I thought that was worse than hell week. I'd do hell week again instead of the island because uh, hell week is you start on Sunday, and you don't sleep until uh, Friday, but all you're doing is moving. You got the shitty boat on your head. You're moving, you're running, you're in the ocean, you're everything with that fucking boat. But um, you're with your buddies, you got six friends next to you. You go to the island, and they even say, you know, we're torturing you in San Diego. And, and right in front of the Hotel Del Coronado, there's people watching. Out there, no one can hear you scream. And it sucks. It's uh, nonstop, no days off. They can do whatever they want. I'm pretty sure there's no adult supervision and probably some whiskey out there because shit gets sideways. And there's the, uh, you know, long runs. We actually did our first... First run out there in tennis shoes. We'd been running in, in boots for the entire time. We were hauling ass. That was cool. We were used to running on soft sand in boots, and they let us run a 5K uh, on on uh, pavement. I think the winner ran it in like a 1445 or some ridiculous fast number. Fast fucking dudes. But it sucked out there. Then you get used to that. You get used to doing the you know 10, 10 dead hang pull-ups with all your gear on before you can eat, or you're getting wet, and then you're eating wet. You know, shit like that. You get used to it come back and then you're you're done now you got to go on and in my case we went to um fort benning georgia and that was cool we went to army airborne so they uh you know first day you don't know whether to be nervous or not and you got army dudes there you've never worked with the army before it's cool you get used to that i mean jump school's funny because uh that's my first time with the u.s army and i realized early on at that school that the u.s army can take a three-day course and squeeze it into three and a half weeks like they teach you to fall like get in the circle and fall and they get up and fall. I had an instructor come over me because I stopped falling, and he said, uh, haven't you been through uh, SEAL school or whatever he said? I said, yes. He said, wasn't it harder than this? I'm like, it was way harder than this. This is fucking stupid. But that's the military. The military's stupid. <laughs> so I'm kidding. Uh, it, it, jumping out of a plane, even static line, the first jump I had, scared, but that was the coolest thing I'd ever done. Awesome. And uh, much love to the Army. Then went SEAL Team 2. Talked about that before you're scared. But the point I'm making is it doesn't really matter what you're doing, you're going to be nervous, but realize you're going to be good at it. I went to SEAL Team 2. We did deployments overseas. I finally, you know, we we didn't really do much 
combat or any at SEAL Team 2. Then 9-11 happened, and I did go to SEAL Team 6. And I remember, So I'd done uh, several blocks, uh, uh, weeks and weeks of close quarters battle. CQB is what we call it. That's the SWAT team-style entrance that you'll see in action movies where you know the, the, the good guys come in, kill the bad guys or, or whatever, and get the, get the hostages. Uh, I'd been doing it forever. I was good at it. I thought I was, I thought I was good because I was fast, and that's not necessarily the case, but that's the way that they do it. Uh, in, in selection just because they want to see how you think at first, how you react to stuff. Are you the person who can come to, into a situation and make a mistake, but then realizing worrying about that mistake right now is not going to help me? I have a job to do. I'll think about it later. I'll talk about that later, which is what you should do. Um, are, or are you the, you know, we'll talk about it in the debrief. We, we, on the Bin Laden raid, when the first helicopter crash landed in the front yard, I was on the other one that got let off outside. When we went in and they op- they actually opened the door for us, the main door, the carport where the cars came in and out, I didn't even know they were in there. I didn't know they crashed, but, you know, a thumb came out with a glove, uh, a glove came out with thumbs up. I recognized the glove. It's got to be one of our guys. It didn't matter why they were in there. They're just there. Well, if we live through this mission, we'll talk about it. And that's what, are you the person who comes into a situation and you can't stop thinking about that mistake you made, even though it's not helping you? Get over that mistake and get on with it and talk about it later. That's where they're going to get you. So you got to be able to calm down. Um, when we first started CQB, and that's the, that is known for being the hardest block of training to get into SEAL Team 6 at CQB, I remember the, fir- the first few runs were dry runs, and uh, it was just with pistols. We weren't even using rifles yet, and I, I remember going through that. It was slow, and I couldn't do it. I was doing it wrong. I had a dude that I knew uh, who, was a, who was part of the cadre, part of the, the, the instructor cadre, and he pulled me aside and said, you've done this before. What the fuck is wrong with you? Calm down. And we were going slow, but I was in my own head, and it's, it's, you got to take a moment, take a breath, and breathe. It's like drawing a pistol when you're wearing a, a jacket, like if you're, if you're security or something. Don't concentrate on being really fast going to the gun. Concentrate on getting your thumb to your solar plexus and then go for your gun that's going to move your jacket instead of getting caught up so so you gotta you gotta just um you gotta realize that you can if you can slow it down take a breath calm down um don't be afraid to keep your sense of humor and you're gonna get used to it no matter what it is i have traveled around the world and there are two things i know mismanaged governments lead to economic destruction but gold value has been everywhere on the planet. Whether it's incompetence or intent, the result is the same. Rising inflation and wasteful government spending are destroying the U.S. dollar. That's why I have partnered with Allegiance Gold and want you to diversify your portfolio. My friends at Allegiant Gold can help you protect your IRA or 401k with physical gold and silver, or if you prefer, have it delivered securely right to your front door. Their approach is different. They focus on educating and developing a long-term strategy that's right for you. That's why Allegiance Gold has some of the highest ratings in the industry. Five stars with TrustLink, AAA rated with Business Consumer Alliance, and an A-plus from the Better Business Bureau. Go to protectwiththeoperator.com and get up to $2,500 of free silver on a qualifying purchase. When you tell them the operator sent you, and when you go to protectwiththeoperator.com, you will see a very handsome picture of me. Or give them a call at 844-790-9191. That's 844-790-9191. We can't control the Biden administration, but we can prepare for the consequences of their mismanagement of our country. Protectwiththeoperator.com. That's protectwiththeoperator.com. Tell me what you think of that picture. It's great. Remember, it's uh, 844-790-9191. 
844-790-9191. Yes, traveling the world and seeing all kinds of stuff. I was talking about um, your first time and everything, and I mentioned jumping out of a plane with the Army. That was cool. Um, it was really cool. The first um, jumping with, with the airborne dudes is great, too. They go nuts. They pound on the thing, and they're jumping. They're, uh, it's static line, right? So static line is when you hook up your parachute to a line, a cable, and then you, and then when you jump it, it'll un fold and hopefully the parachute rigger that you had packed it correctly. And packing a parachute, believe it or not, is not, I mean, keep the line straight and kind of S-fold it in the bag. It should come out because, you know, the bag connected to the thing or whatever. And you jump, it pulls, you, you open, ideally. Then um, you have a, uh, there's a reserve for static line. There's a reserve on your front. And so you're jumping static line, I want to say, at about 1,250 feet. So you jump out of the plane, connected to the plane. You jump out. You're holding this because um, you, you can get what's called a hung jumper. Bear with me on this. A hung jumper is a malfunction where you jumped and your static line, I forget how long it is, but it's, it's like 10 feet or some shit. But like it doesn't open, so you're just connected to it. You're like a dope on a rope, and you're slamming against the side of the aircraft. I've heard. I actually heard of a guy doing that. And you're supposed to hold on to your uh, reserve because you're reserving your front. And there's like this this ripcord, and if you jump and you're you're not connected to the plane, you're supposed to pull that, and it's a par- it's a parachute on your front. It's a reserve that's supposedly going to save your life or whatever. But if you're connected to it, and you're hung jumper, and that thing comes off, um, you know that parachute opens, but you're connected to a plane that's going fast, like 130 knots that way, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be bad. It's going to tear you in, in a couple different pieces, so that's going to suck. But what they say is you want to maintain a tight body position. When you jump, the parachute should open. You should be good to go. I heard a story of a Marine that was a hung jumper. I wasn't there, but it's a great story, and like I said about a sense of humor, don't lose it. This is a great story. They said there was a Marine. They said he was a recon guy. And he jumped out, and he was a hung jumper. So he's on the side of this plane, and what they're trying to do is real, I guess. They're trying to pull you back in the plane, and you're going fast, man. I mean, if you ever put your hand out the window of a car, that's not going 130 miles an hour. But they're trying to pull him back in. They, I guess they have some sort of a machine or some shit. I don't know. I was a static line jump master eventually, too. I, I've never seen a machine like that. You're supposed to pull him back in. But he was slamming against the side of this aircraft. And it was probably a C-130 or something. And that's still enough prop blast. But I guess he was just yelling at them to cut it, just cut it, like chop it away. You can do that. You should have a hook knife or something. And he was, you know, bouncing against the side of it. And they said they uh, they cut him. They cut the static line. So now he's in free fall. And I guess he yanked his reserve and it opened. And it's on your, it's on your tum-tum. So he fell straight down, landed there. And I guess his parachute uh, landed around him on top of him. And they ran out to him, and uh, they didn't know if he was dead or alive, and I guess they just heard from underneath the canopy, well, that sucked. <laughs> and I don't know if it's real, but that's just an awesome story. Um, so that's the static line jump. Got, I, I had my first one. I thought it was great, and then it just turned into, uh, I don't want to jump out of a plane that I'm connected to, but that's what a static line jump is. So that was cool. You get used to that. Then I went to free fall, and I didn't get free fall which, which obviously is where you skydive, right? You jump out of a plane, and both your canopies are on your back. I didn't get that for, until my third platoon, I think. I was uh, uh, For some reason, I never got that. I got sniper school in my first platoon. Then I got a couple other ones here and there. And free fall, it, this was before they did it as part of the pipeline. Before, like People now check into their SEAL teams with that qual and a trident and their Navy SEALs when they get there, which I think is stupid, but that's what they do it. But 
Um, my third platoon, I've, they only had a couple billets a year, and they would only give it to guys that uh, I guess didn't have good senses of humor. Apparently, my sense of humor was too good, so they did something like that. I was late or something. I don't know. Whatever. Um, so they um, they did finally send me, and I was excited for that because more of I you know I get one. They called the I don't know who called it this, but they said the big three quals would be uh, sniper communications and. Free fall. I don't, I don't, communications is awesome, but you're always carrying a radio in a platoon. So I didn't ever want to do that. But that's, if you don't know how to communicate, um, you're wrong. I mean, it's shoot, move, and communicate. You should know how to communicate with each other. And if you're, if you're like someone that's going to join the military or whatever, know how to communicate. I mean, think about when we go to war with China and they shoot the fucking satellites down or whatever. Like, you can't use GPS and your iPhone doesn't work. Know how to communicate. If you get the chance, I hope we don't get to like line of sight shit where you're setting up a long wire, but. It's good to know how to communicate because if you can't get your word to your people, that's that's part of the battle. And communicating is not always talking, too. I would tell people in the house that uh, communicate by body language and shit like that. So know how to communicate. What the hell was I saying? So free fall. Um, uh, the first time I went, I was excited because I finally get free fall. This is cool. I'm going to jump out of planes. And um, even the instructors there, I had an Army dude, uh, even on the way up uh, – so we'd been, like, we'd been in the wind tunnel, which is indoor skydiving. If you haven't done that, by the way – do that. They're all over the place now. If you find one indoor skydiving, I fly or some shit like that, do that because uh, you realize how hard it is to just fall. You don't, it's like everything you do in the air does the opposite of, of falling out of bed, which I've done that as well. That was another reason I probably didn't get free fall. But they, um, it, it, when you move a hand, it'll turn you a certain way. So yeah, go, go into a wind tunnel and see those dudes in the wind tunnel. Watch those guys, man. They're fucking good. Those are grown men whose job is to work in a toy. How cool is that? Uh, but we'd been in the wind tunnel at Fort Bragg, uh, Army Base. And then we went to Yuma, Arizona, by God. And uh, when we were there, we they would do classes. They have to cover the malfunctions, which we've talked about before. And different malfunctions can happen when you're when you're jumping out of an airplane. You have your high-speed malfunctions. I mentioned that before, which is uh, something that's bad or, or whatever. And that's when you look, grab, look, grab, pull. You cut away, pull, throw away, and then arch and all that shit. And that's just cutting your... Your main parachute, which is on the bottom, cutting that away, meaning it's off your shoulders, and the, then your reserve comes out, hopefully, and, and then uh, that opens and you land that one. But you go through those, and then the low-speed malfunction, like I mentioned with the, the Air Force who had the line over, something that's slow and you could sort of work it, but you realize you're at a certain altitude, i got to make the decision and cut it. You cover all that shit. And there's, there's a myriad of different malfunctions that you can, you can fix. When you're falling, like a common one is line twists, and you just like, and you know, it'll, 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 it, your lines twist behind your head. You've got two sets of risers off your shoulder that connect to the lines, and it's not uncommon for it to open. It will, it can spin, so it can pin your head down or it can pin your head back. And I mean, you can cut it away if you want to, or you got a little time. The way to, to do that is just pull against it, like put your hands inside and pull against it and start bicycling, and you'll feel it start to come undone. And then, you know, everyone's had line twists, and you can get that out. Um, and I would rather try to work it out before I cut it away and go to my reserve because that's um, one last chance to live. So you want to give it every chance. But you also have to maintain what's called altitude awareness. Uh, and you don't want to get a certain a certain height. I, w- I want to say it should take your reserve about 750 feet to open. Okay, so you want to cut it ahead of that, and you also want to give it a little extra time to avoid the fucking power lines or whatever you don't want to hit. A lot of shit going on with skydiving. I'm making it sound bad. It's a lot of fun. Don't do the wing shoot, wingsuit shit though. That's for like um, pros and like the base jumping. The base jumping is uh, jumping off of cliffs and stuff or bridges. Anyway, um, um, 
the first few days of the course were going through malfunctions, all this stuff, and canopy work. They actually put you in in these these harnesses where you sit in them, and then you work. They show you how to because when your canopy opens, you need there's a there's these two little toggles. You unstole them, and what that do, does is kind of release the back of the parachute, so you can you can steer it. And right turns right, left turns left, and when you pull them both down, you can stall it. That's how you slow down at the end to stop. And um, that's good, slowing down and stopping. Uh, but you need to know how to do all that, get used to it in the air. Uh, there are a couple of different types of jumps you do. You do a, a high altitude high opening, which is a hay hole, or a high altitude low opening, which is a halo. And a halo, you jump, ideally, we're jumping from 12,500 feet. And I want to say you can do up to 18,000 feet without supplemental oxygen, if I'm wrong, correct me. And then we've done, I've done as high as 25,000 feet, which is about the top. I think, I think the max opening altitude for one of these canopies is 20,000 feet, I think. But you're going to be up there a long, long time. One of my, that Army instructor that I had, he said, um, instead of doing a hey-ho, we'll just put you in this harness, let your legs fall asleep, and we'll put your hands and feet into ice water, which is basically what it's like, because you're way up there, and it's cold. My, my mother says she doesn't like to fly in, in cold weather, and that's cool, but I mean, it's cold at 30,000 feet regardless. <laughs> it's going to be below zero up there. It's kind of funny. Love you, Mom. Um, but the first one we were doing was Halo. The fir- Basically, that's all we did were Halos. So jump out. You're watching your altitude, and then you want to... I think we're pulling at 2,500 feet, and I think uh, minimum decision... No, 4,000 feet. I'm sorry. Pull at 4,000. Okay, that's right. Pull at 4,000, and then you want to... Uh, if you have to cut away, it's like 25 or 2,000, something like that. Okay, bear with me. I could be wrong. I didn't look this up. I'm off on a tangent. If I'm wrong, hit me up in the comments, not on Twitter, because I'm not looking because you're fucking mean. Um so we're riding up in the plane to do the first halo. Never done it before. And what I'd heard before is on your first jump, all you really see is like looking through uh, straws because you're just, you're fucking focused. And you're going to jump with an instructor. And the way the instructor does it, now I, I eventually was a, a, um, a civilian free fall instructor. So I've jumped people for the first time. And the first time someone jumps, usually two instructors have them by the harnesses, by the side harnesses, uh, the vertical the vertical straps, whatever the fuck they're called, whatever, the thing's up here. But uh, on this one, he's just going to jump with us. And they're, like I mentioned with the wind tunnel, every time you put your legs some way, if you extend your legs all the way, you are going to fall forward. If you bend them, which is very common, you're going to go backwards. And that's called backsliding. And that's very dangerous because you'd, a lot, if you're brand new, especially, you don't realize because the wind's hitting you so fast that your legs are creeping up on you and that's forcing you back, which means you could fly into someone else. God forbid if they're opening, you can see the problems. And uh, so the, uh, the instructor will give you instructions on the way down. And it's like uh, extend your legs uh, to go forward. Um, and then um, if you're sliding, all they can do is stick their tongue out because they got to get into a track to chase you, so they can't put their hands up. And they, you know, that's, he was actually doing that for me because I ended up backsliding on my first one. They can give you the thumbs down, which means to arch, and like give you an okay just to make sure you're good, to make sure you're aware. But on the way up, I started to realize that um, uh, I wasn't that nervous. And he, the instructor thought I would be nervous because all the students are nervous. And he said, uh, so where are you from? What would you do growing up? And I was like, well, this is an odd place to start a conversation, but I'm from Montana. I like to hunt, blah, blah, blah. And we were talking. I said, oh, I realize what you're doing. You're, um, you're keeping me from being nervous. I think I got this. I think I'm good. And then we did the thing, and they sent us, and uh, that was awesome. I did. It was, it was just it was um, looking through straws. And I was amazed because I'd only been in the wind tunnel or a static line jump, but I was amazed at uh, 
at the how open it is. The air is so open. I was backsliding like a son of a bitch because he asked me later, couldn't you see me flying at you with my tongue out? You, you could have killed someone, you idiot. Um, not wasn't that bad, but he was doing that, and I did I did straighten it out, and I pulled, and I landed my canopy, and then that then was the coolest thing I'd ever done. Skydiving's awesome. Pay attention to safety. Safety is free. Use as much as you want. I love those Navy sayings. Safety comes in cans. I can, you can, we can. Um, but yeah, if you get a chance to wind tunnel, do it for sure. Definitely skydive. I would recommend doing a tandem jump first, just so you can feel the wind, you can feel the air and see what it's like and get used to it. But definitely skydive if, if you if you get the chance. It's not that dangerous. Um, and people always say, well, why would I jump out of a perfectly good airplane? Well, think about this. There's no such thing as a perfectly good airplane. So here's something I want to talk about. After I finished BUDS, finished jump school, I went to SEAL tactical training, which is a long course about tactics where you're learning how to be a Navy SEAL. One thing that I realized there is that a lot of people dip tobacco. As soon as I got to the range, I started to dip. You know, you're at the range of dip when you finish a skydive, you dip when you go to a brief or a debrief, you dip. If you're giving the brief, chances are you dip. So I dip tobacco. I was at the point of the ritual where even in Iraq and Afghanistan, I would wake up early so that I could eat breakfast quickly so I could have a dip. Pure ritual. The issue is for almost 20 years, I was dipping tobacco. I love the ritual. I don't like the tobacco. So if you're dipping right now, I recommend trying black buffalo it is a tobacco-free dip, and it's available in a few different flavors. Uh, some of them do have nicotine, and that'll come with a warning that tells you there's nicotine in it, but there's still no tobacco. And the other one, um, the other kind is just 100% ritual, zero tobacco, zero nicotine. It's made from food-grade products, plants, and it has the texture and the taste of the dip you love. If you're dipping now and you're looking for an alternative, I highly recommend that. This, this uh, Black Buffalo has one... Four-time Best New Products by third-party publications. Made in the USA for U.S. consumption. Born in the Midwest, raised in the South. It is, like I said, made in the U.S. Very proud supporters of the U.S. military, first responders, anyone that dips. I highly recommend this. Check out blackbuffalo.com and use the promo code THEOPERATOR, one word, and get 15% off of your first purchase, and I highly recommend it. We talk quite a bit about preparation on the show, and one major consideration about being prepared is how do I feed my family? How do I feed myself? If you do a little math, about 2% of America is farmers, but 100% of us eat. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Moink. That is Moo plus Oink. Moink is a meat subscription box company on a mission to fight for the family farm. They are located in rural America, run by an eighth-generation female farmer. Their animals are raised humanely. Their employees are paid a living wage, and the quality of their product is better than anything you'll find in a store. Moink delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and sustainable wild-caught Alaskan salmon right to your door. Moink farmers farm like our grandparents did, and as a result, Moink meat tastes like it should because the family farm does it better and the Moink difference is a difference that you can taste. Unlike the supermarket, Moink gives you total control over the quality and the source of your food. You choose the meal delivered in each box like ribeyes or chicken breast, pork chops, salmon fillets, and much more. Plus, you can cancel at any time. Moink is helping save the rural farm, helping save rural America. I love it and uh, you will love it. Shark Tank host Kevin O'Leary called Moink's bacon the best bacon he's ever tasted. And Ring Doorbell founder Jamie Simonoff 
jumped at the chance to invest in Moink. I love saying oink oink. I just got moinked, and I know you will too. Keep American farming going by signing up at moinkbox.com slash the operator right now, and listeners to this show will get free filet mignon in every order for a year. Free filet, you can't beat that. That's one year of the best filet mignon you'll ever taste, but it's for a limited time. It's moink spelled M O I N K. Moinkbox.com slash the operator. That's moinkbox.com slash the operator. This is great for rural America. The meat is raised the right way. You know what you're getting, and you're you're supporting America, not the big governments who want to control the food so they can control you. So check out moinkbox.com slash the operator free, free filet for a year. You're going to love it. So uh, what I'm getting at is skydiving is cool. It is always good to try new shit. It is always good to uh, go new places, go on an adventure or whatever, especially if you're uh, in, a, in a shit mood. <laughs> skydiving will help you. I don't think anyone's... I, I used to jump tandems, which is where you have a dude or a woman, man or a woman, whatever, skydiver, and then you strap someone to the front and you jump out tandem. So it's a, it's a, it's a per, uh, you can go and basically get a couple hour class and then jump a tandem jump. I used to jump tandems and I have never had anyone after we land not say, can we go again right now? So that's one cure for depression is skydiving. Uh, you know, the, uh, they taught us about jump refusals too. Like if you get in the door, to jump or on a ramp and someone refuses to jump, how you talk them into it. I have one person try that one time. It was actually a dude. It was a Navy guy. Because the hardest part of skydiving isn't uh, jumping out of the plane. Gravity and the good Lord will take care of the rest. The hardest part is getting up from your seat and walking to the door, like especially on your first jump. I've seen it. That's the, that's the hardest part. But once you get out, it's fucking game on no matter what. But we used to skydive quite a bit. And we did because we thought that that was the way that if Bin Laden ever showed up, that's how we were going to get him. So we did a bunch of different tactics. We started to adjust um, different shit to see what would work. The way that the Army, the Army, let's be honest, runs everything. Uh, the way that the Army had us do it on a what they call a combat jump was, uh, uh, you know, you, you, got your, you got your parachute here, and then uh, like you, you, you put your rucksack sort of, between your legs, it's either hooked up to the front or to the back of whatever the hell you're wearing, and then uh, you would put a gun in in a bag underneath your arm. It's like a jump bag, and that's how th- we would jump. But uh, and that's a good way to go. I mean, that's a safe way to go. For years, they've been doing that, and that's the sa- you know every we we try to do everything in the safest, most efficient way to do it. But we started to realize that if we jump in, especially to Bin Laden, if he lives in a cave or wherever the hell then we are probably going to need to shoot as soon as we land. Like, we're jumping on the X, and we need to shoot when we land. So what's the best way to um, what's the best way to do it? So we, we modified different types of rucksacks. We actually had um, larger, like, uh, hydration bags that we could put on the front because you also have, when we were doing high-altitude, high-opening, we would have our what's it called an attack board, and we made those as small as we could. You've got your altimeter, and you've got um, a compass, and ideal, uh, actually a GPS, but you pretty much want to bring two GPS because one's going to break. Compass usually works. If it doesn't, um, you know, you're going to land somewhere. 
But uh, then, you know, we, we, we uh, guys would start to put their guns underneath that, right under the attack board on top of the thing. And we were able to modify it. We, because we used the name development group, we were actually technically able to develop new tactics. And, and uh, what's the best way you can jump it? And then you get into... Uh, uh, we had guys sometimes jump painters poles, like the ones that you can extend because if you need to climb or some bullshit, which is dangerous. I mean, the more stuff you have hanging off of you, the more opportunities you have for the lines that connect you to your parachute to wrap around them. And and one of the worst malfunctions that you can get skydiving is called a horseshoe malfunction. And that's the one where it just kind of wraps you up and, and your lines are around you. You're supposed to try to get it off. It's bad because if you if your lines of your canopy are wrapped around you and you cut it away, you're, it might not go away. It might still be stuck on you. And then your other parachute, your your reserve, has nowhere to go. And if your reserve goes into your main, that's a, obviously a very, very bad thing that can happen. So um, you want to be really careful with that. The, the way the Army does it is the safest. I actually went back to that myself where I, would, I wouldn't use a jump bag, but I would put the gun underneath my, uh, I want to say my left shoulder, and then down to my, um, down my leg. Other guys jumped in front, that's fine. Do what you want as long as you're safe because you are in charge of your own life at that point. But we would jump all the time. Um, Our primary job at SEAL Team 6 was to rescue hostages at sea. And now we done it one time. I talked about the Captain Phillips raid. But when you do that, you're jumping at a lower altitude. So the, I was saying earlier that in training for a halo, we would jump at about 12,500 12, feet up to up to twenty five. I want to say 25,000 feet. Um, but uh, on a water jump, when you're releasing boats, you're jumping anywhere from, from 2,500 up to maybe 7,000. Uh, and you need to be able to exit correctly, nail your exit. Like I was talking about earlier, um, falling is harder than you think, especially when you're dealing with terminal velocity. And you, you can, if you have a leg dipped, you spin really badly. If you, if your gear's not the right way, it'll turn you, and you need to know how to counter it in case something shifts. And if you get in a violent spin, obviously, you know you, the blood can either rush to your head, away from your head, you can pass out. It's not good when you're falling towards Mother Earth to pass the fuck out. Goes without saying. Um, but we jumped a lot, did a lot of wind tunnel because you need to nail the jump, the exit. When you exit an aircraft, you're traveling at about 130 knots. As soon as you jump, instead of you're not falling right away, but you hit the initial wind, right? So when you jump out, it's again, like when you put your hand out of a car, you're hitting that wind first, and you need to slowly transition to the falling. So you're going to get a sensation of being your feet kicked up above your head, which is normal. But you can't panic with that either. The, the the way to correct anything when you're skydiving is to arch. And that was what I was talking about when the instructor at first puts the thumb down. It means to arch. And arch doesn't mean like arching your back. That's not doing it. You physically need to pull, push your waist towards the ground. Put your dick towards the dirt is what they would say. And um, so we would jump a lot because maybe one day we will need to do that. And you got to nail your exit. If you, if you fuck up the exit on a water jump, I mean, like messing up the exit on everything. It's going to take time to correct it. You want to be good. So we took jumping very seriously. We would jump a lot. And we got to the point where we were jumping high altitude, high opening, hey hoes On any kind of terrain we could find, we would jump mostly in Arizona. But there are mountains down there. We would jump onto um, the tops of, of steep cliffs. There was one there that they said Richard Nixon used to use as a an airstrip when he landed. I don't know how true that is or whatever. But... um. Uh, yeah, we would do that jump on mountains, scary stuff. Um, and we're, you know, everything from trying to figure out 
what's the safest way to jump with your night vision? Do do you uh, do you wear it and then hit the button so it goes up, um, or or do you not wear it at first and try to put it on under canopy, which I wouldn't recommend. If you jump into the relative wind, it's going to fly right off. So we had to figure out ways to use bungee cords and whatnot to make sure it's secure. And we had guys that it did blast off of their helmet, but it, thank God it smashed into their nose and and caused that to bleed. But you still have your night vision because it's important to see because we're doing these at night now, and that's and we actually learned. Um, uh, it's better to do our training really early in the morning instead of doing a night jump. Uh, so we're training for a night jump, but we'd rather jump at about 3 or 4 a.m. because it's still dark. But if you lose somebody, you got all day to find them, right? That makes sense, doesn't it? So we we learned that uh, we'd actually be leaving the Marriott in Tucson driving towards uh, wherever we were jumping, and there were still college people out in the bars. And it's like, damn, they're going to do this, and I'm going to go skydive. Um, but you know, we got good at that. We do nighttime stuff, landing on all kinds of different, different, um, different whatnot, trying to learn how to jump. Cause we never know when we would need it. We did, we did need to nail the exits, which we all did on the Captain Phillips raid, which was great. Nobody, no, nobody spun out. Uh, uh, everybody maintained it and it was good. That worked. Um, but, uh, skydiving. So, um, I, like I mentioned, I was a, uh, static line jump master and then I went to free fall. I was a free fall jump master. I got my, um, uh, civilian, instructor qualification, uh, master naval parachute and stuff like that. I love to jump. I would jump quite a bit. I, I spent a lot of time skydiving. And and what was cool about the way we would skydive is we did learn that you can only teach yourself so much. Uh, it's better to hire professionals. So we would start to hire professionals, not just skydiving. We, we, we did that. We, um, for shooting, we would get the best Shotgun shooters, the best pistol shooters, the best rifle shooters to teach. They're not going to teach us our tactics. We're going to develop our own tactics. But for skydiving, we would hire professional teams out of uh, Eloy, Arizona. Arizona Arsenal was one of the teams that we hired. They were just incredible skydivers, great people too. I mean, how can you not be a great person if your job is to skydive? And they were just fucking awesome. So we would hire them. They would just teach us canopy stuff. Because before we hired pros and people that were good, uh, we would just have team guys, older SEALs. Uh, teaching you and like little shit like when you're skydiving a canopy you're jumping goes 20 miles an hour forward in no wind so you want to see what the wind is doing on the ground and this is basic but it's important because if you land into the wind and you like I was mentioning the toggles you pull them and slow down and stop that's how you slow down if you screw that up and you don't realize you're not landing into the wind and you have a 15 mile an hour wind at your back Forget skydiving. You could have saved everyone a lot of time if you just went to rent a van and drove through the desert at 3 in the morning at 35 miles an hour and then just close your eyes and jump into a cactus, right? So not just that. I mean, that's pretty obvious. They teach you from the, from day one the, how to read the wind, and there's wind indicators. And you can use shit, too. Like when we're jumping on unknown drop zones, we're, we're using anything. When I was a lead jumper, I used to use my own feet. Look at the ground and see which way it's pushing us. Um, look for... Uh, smoke or trees the way vegetation is moving and then you can figure it out and then do a, a safe pattern into the wind but when we had team guys teaching us like you'd slam into the ground or when you're jumping a tandem or, or jumping a bundle and instead of correcting they would jump just run out and laugh at you you're a fucking idiot and that's it that's not a lot of instruction other than self-preservation at that point but yeah we hired these skydivers we got we got really good at it um jumped quite a bit and i'm i'm bringing this up for a few funny stories one of the a couple funny stories one of the courses that i went to was to become a tandem bundle master and a tandem i mentioned earlier that's when you're jumping one dude jumps another dude 
And in the tandem course, it's it's it kind of you save money by by you as a student jump your buddy and then he and you know you're the passenger or you're sorry you're the jump master and then he's the passenger and then the next jump he's the jump master and passenger and you do a couple jumps four to six jumps a day which is cool you also learn how to pack the tandem rig the tandem parachute which is a motherfucker i mean it's it's enough to put a canopy in in something the size of a small backpack but now you're doing a tandem rig which is like 400 square feet is that right i don't know it's a big parachute big enough to carry two dudes and you got to pack that but because you have to pack a certain amount of times because like i said this course is actually run by the army um you will unpack a parachute you'll pack a parachute a tandem and your your hands are getting beat to shit we use a bunch of hand salve which is really cool it's like lipstick for your hands but thicker um so you pack it and you're happy you packed it but as soon as you're done packing it you get inspected then you unpack it and then you repack it and then you jump that one and then you pack it you unpack it you repack it so you're doing a lot of packing there and you're jumping your buddies, um, and it's cool. I actually, uh, um, I had a, I got a picture that I'm, I posted of me and uh, Cheese, Will Chesney. He wrote the book No Ordinary Dog. He was on the raid, too. So he wrote a book approved by the DOD on the Bin Laden raid. He brought the dog Cairo, which kind of puts a thorn in the side of all the conspiracy theorists that everybody on the Bin Laden raid died uh, getting shot down because... President Obama turned us over to the uh, to the to Al Qaeda, and they were they shot us down using um, RPGs that Hillary Clinton sold them. Which, and I'm not making that shit up. That's out there. Uh, don't even want to touch that one yet. A whole new thing. But anyway, uh, no ordinary no, no ordinary dog written by a cheese. And I posted a picture when I was I jumped him because as an instructor, as a tandem master, as a bundle master, you need to jump a certain amount of uh, get a certain amount of dumps jumps per year per quarter and so we run a jump trip and i, I said cheese man you and cheese cheese is down for anything <laughs> like, i gotta jump a tan if you want to be my passenger and he's like yeah sure so i posted a picture of me and cheese and i'm doing my it's a famous i didn't invent it but for some reason tandem masters when you're jumping a buddy we started you, you get a lick of your buddy's head the head lick so it's me and cheese so my nickname was nisro navy seal rob o'neill he used cheese uh Will, william truman chesney the third Cheese. So the tandem jump is called Nisro con queso. Not bad. You didn't know I was bilingual. So that's the picture of the tandem. But so we got to the tandem thing, and you have to jump. The tandem is a tandem, and we do that in case we need to jump a um, an, an interpreter, someone that can't jump, like the the comms guy or the yeoman for the Cap Phillips thing. We're gonna jump them. You have someone that can do that. You have to be a tandem master in order to jump a bundle. Now, a bundle, I think, is scary as shit, and I never cared for it. A bundle is the size and weight of a Coke machine, essentially. Four to 500 pounds, it's a big barrel, and you strap it to your chest um, with a cutaway pillow. That's important for later. Uh, the chest, the, the, it's S-folded by... Um, like a static line, like you would jump on a, on a static line, a, a very heavy cord. And the reason th- this barrel is there is because not everybody can jump everything that they may have needed on the mission that you're doing. So extra batteries, extra bullets, extra bombs, cool guy shit, it goes in the barrel. One dude gets to jump that. So we'll say he can jump a 400-pound barrel, right? So that's connected to you, and you put it on your side, on its side. It's on rollers, and you roll it out the damn plane, and then you fall with it. It's connected to you. This huge barrel is connected to you, and you fall with it. And I'm convinced that that barrel's job, that bundle's job, the entire way down is to kill you. 
That's it. That's a lot of guys love it. Um, I did it a bunch, and and it's one of those things where you don't need to like it. You just have to do it. I jumped a lot of bundles. Uh, I did have one scare me one time that almost killed me. <laughs> uh, I'm going to tell that story first, but I I did go through the the tandem part, and then I'm doing the bundle part. And uh, when you jump a bundle, um, you, th- there's a or a tandem. There's a there's a, a drogue parachute connected to you that you need to throw out first, and it's like a five foot drogue, maybe a six foot drogue. Again, I, I didn't look this shit up. I'm just talking, but that drogue parachute slows you down to the rate that the other jumpers are falling. And um, when you jump a bundle, someone he's setting it for you. And if you if you're on a, a real jumper or a, sh- a shady jump, a hairy jump. Um, you should have a jump master just set it for you. And that means they just hold it for you in their hands like you're praying. And when you jump, that just pulls it. But you might not have gotten it out. So you do need to do a self-set. Now, every most tandems, you can just do that yourself because it's just a dude in front of you, reach back and, and, and set it. Self-set, that's important. Um, but uh, the, um, I had to do that one time. It was the last jump of the day. This is for the bundle. And, and as we're jumping, and thank God it was a high-altitude, high-opening. It was a hay hill, so we jumped it um, at uh, I want to say fifteen thousand feet. We jumped out and uh, I I set, and then I pulled. So I set my my drogue. Uh, it was actually, I'm sorry. It was set for me, and then I pulled. And the jump master said I had a very very violent opening. And as they as I jumped, they pulled away. So they were flying away, and he's looking out, and and he didn't know if I would live or die. That's how bad it was. What had happened. During this thing was uh, as soon as it opened, I had a ve- one of those very violent uh, uh, line twists. So I've got a bundle connected to me. I'm lucky I'm at 15,000 feet. About a bundle connected to me, and then I got uh, line twists that are pushing my head forward, and half of my canopy opened. The other half did not. And the way that a canopy works, they're in cells, and this is a nine-cell parachute. So. Four or five of them didn't open, and, and what the cells look like—if you look them up—it's it's like a eh, like a tunnel, like sleeping bag type thing, and they're connected together. And that—that's what makes you go forward and down when you're parachuting. You're, we're skydiving with high-speed canopies. You're not actually going down; you're going forward and down. But half of them didn't open; the other half did, and so now they're spinning. That thing's trying to gulp air. This one's inflated, so that's causing a massive spin. So I'm spinning. Uh, horrifically, that's what the jump master said. Very violent is what he described it. I'm in the middle. A high-speed canopy is diving, and I got a 400-pound barrel on the other end, and we're just spinning. And we're spinning and spinning and spinning. My head is pinned forward. The cutaway system for a tandem is uh, it's right in front of your face, and I can't get it because my head is pinned into it. And I'm thinking as I'm falling, I can hear it getting louder and louder and louder. And I'm just eating, just eating altitude. And uh, I remember saying to myself, if I don't cut this away, I'm never going to see my kids again. If I ever want to see my girls, I need to get this cut away. And I don't know what the hell happened, but I popped it out. That bundle shot off to some farmer's field. And actually, uh, uh, it has a parachute on it, right? And it opened, and it landed somewhere, and I land. And uh, I'm walking down the drop zone. And I was lucky because I burned about... 8,000 feet in a dive. And if I hadn't pulled, because our pull altitude normally is about 5.5 five with a tandem or a bundle. You know, you do the math there. I'm going to slam into the ground. I would have died. I didn't because it was a hay hole. I am the luckiest unlucky man in the world. And um, 
I landed, I ran into my buddy came out and he said, you look like you just saw a ghost. What happened? And I explained the uh, horrible. And, and I remember saying, I need to, uh, we need to fix that. That's the old cutaway system for the old, I think it was a seven cell parachute. This is the new high performance nine cell parachute. It's not meant for that. We got to fix that fucking thing. Something's going to happen. And, um, and it did. Um, uh, um, a year later, um, my friend Lance Vaccaro was jumping the same damn canopy, the same damn cutaway system, and he pulled a 5.5 and it killed him. He got the same spin, and, we, and then, they, then they fixed it after that. And that's the, it's a, Lance Vaccaro, uh, fucking stud. I love that guy. Um, yeah, he, he died out there skydiving those things, and it's, it's uh, one of those. If you, that's the whole ask a question. If you see something wrong, do something about it. Call, don't be afraid to say this needs to change. We need to do that. And that's a, that's a, that's a terrible uh, segue. Lance was the man. He was a... Uh, he was. Uh, I, I went a lot of places with him. He's just uh, salt of the earth. He, we, we filled out. Um, uh, when you fill out your your will and everything, there's like a dream sheet. I don't know if you call it a dream sheet, but he said, if he died, he wanted uh, all the squadron to be there. Everyone shoveled dirt on it. Drink PBR out of his Camaro while we listened to Iced Earth. And that's fucking awesome. And that's Lance. And that's that's the thing. So. Um, you know, take advantage of everything you have. That's uh, life can change in the blink of an eye. But after my horrible thing, the next day I finished that jump with um, with uh, a bad jump. You never want to end on a bad jump. But the sun was down. It was time to go home. I was ready to fucking go home. I had that bundle almost smack me to the earth. And um, the next day, um, we had a, a pre-dawn, not pre-dawn, not dawn jump. So it's daytime, and I have to do another bundle, right? So this is my next jump after uh, after um, that horrible thing happened. And I'm, we're taking off in the C-130. And the way it works is you sit down on um, on this bench, and you look at your bundle before you get on it. The, the ramp's not um, not down yet. And I look at my buddy Tom's over there, and he's got like there's these O2 masks that sit down, and he's got, got this O2 mask over his face. And uh, he's breathing in the O2. O2 is just nice, um, it, you know, pure oxygen. It gets it gets your mind working. I always say, breathe in chaos. Breathing fixes a lot of shit. And I almost died the day the night before, whatever. And I look at Tom and I said, Tom, I gotta say something, man. I'm fucking scared. Are you scared? And he had his mask on. <laughs> so it's about what five in the morning. He opens his mask. And he's joking, but he looks at me and goes, what do I care? I'm fucking shit-faced. <laughs> and he, he wasn't, obviously, but just uh, he was that sense of humor. You know, he's just snapping me out of like, yeah, you're right. We got to do this. And uh, got up there, hooked up to the bundle, got the thumbs up, things down, go. And we jump. Fucking thing open. It's champ. That was the bundle. Of course. Now, I said that because I like to, um, I like to conclude on a little bit of uh, humor. You know, I talked about Lance. We know we did have guys die, and it just sucks to think about it. I can't reiterate enough how you, you got to take advantage of what you got. And and uh, um, one of my best stories that I've never told is uh, a tandem jump. I mentioned that you're with your buddy, so I'm. You gotta, you know, you got either a, a Green Beret, a Delta guy, SEAL Team Six guy, Ranger, uh, Air Force dudes, and you'll jump. Your you have the same partner the whole time. And uh, so I'm jumping with a now I was I was hitting the gym at the time so I'm pushing 225 230 I'm a pretty big dude, and uh, my partner his name is Big Mike, we called him Big because he's fucking big he's about six five I'm saying 280 290, 
And when we when I would jump him as um as a passenger, it just it well. So here's here's the deal. I mentioned that you, you should always be able to set your drogue to slow you down. There's one jump that you need to do, so that you as a tandem master can know what it feels like to have not set your drogue. Maybe you reach back and missed it. You know, one of your your first check is to check it to look to see if it's there. Uh, you know your but there's a jump you do called a tandem terminal and they want you to jump without pulling your drogue so with you and another guy you can feel how fast you're going and uh, you'll know it's not set so you realize okay my drogue is not set I need to set my drogue to slow yourself down to a speed where you can pull at your canopy for a tandem terminal they said um, uh, your your, your pull altitude is 5,500 so we want you to slow down at 7,500. So you're going to jump without a drogue to feel it, then set your drogue at 7.5 to slow yourself down to 5.5 five where you can pull. I'm 230, Mike's 280. I'm like, Mike, I am going to set my drogue at 9.5 because we got a lot of man meat here, and I just want to slow us down because it's going to open like a son of a bitch. I got a feeling. He said, sure. Now, because he's so big, the way that we set up is uh, we're, so we. I have my canopy on. He's got his little thing and his cute little hat because <laughs> you can't wear a helmet because you'll bash the instructor. So a little thing, um, and so you sit down, and then he then the passenger sits in your lap and you hook them up. So I hook up these ones, the side ones, the top ones, whatever. There's four straps. One of them could hold you, by the way, um, but I got four of them there. And then when it's time to go, he just stands up, and my feet are off the ground. And I'm just kicking my little feet back there. It's like it's like a reverse papoose, and I'm the little baby. I'm in the back, and like his job is to go over there, and he's just gonna jump. Like I'll tap him, he's gonna jump. Now I mentioned Arizona Arsenal, so we have a guy named Steve, who is pretty much the best skydiver in the fucking world. He's gonna film us, and uh, so he's gonna jump on his head. The fastest way you can fall in, in skydiving is head down. And you see it a lot on the internet, uh, the, the free flying. That's the fastest way. So when we get on there, it's me and Mike, uh, we jump. And the best way I can describe how fast we started going was if you've ever seen Christmas Vacation when Clark Griswold greases the bottom of the saucer and it's just zippy, like that fucking just sparks and fire. That's what we look like. Steve can't keep up with us. We're going so fast. Two of us here, he's flying down. And uh, I can feel it. We're hauling ass, and I'm kind of looking at my thing, and I want to get to to um, to eight five or what? I really want to slow this down. So I reach back, boom. We start to slow down. Steve flies past us, filming us, and so he's on his back. He's filming us. I pull this fucking thing. I mentioned that we pack our own parachutes, and the way you want to pack it is you kind of roll it into itself, so that when it opens, it slowly rolls out. I did something wrong with this because I had a complete bottom skin opening, and it popped. Right, so we went from falling fast as shit, two big fat guys, two big huge Navy SEALs, I mean, and uh, it opened so fast that he slipped two discs in his neck, like he broke his neck, and I shit my pants, right? And I, I, didn't, I didn't chart. Like, I filled my socks. I didn't mean it. It, it was an inappropriate, unwilling bowel evacuation anyway so it pops now normally when you open your your uh your canopy especially with a buddy another team guy you cheer yay we fucking lived we're just going oh like and and normally you want to get upwind 
so you can hold up there and then do the downwind leg and then come back upwind. We're just like sailing. I don't have the toggles. Um, and I'm sure there's a, a, like a steam trail following us for me. And I finally look up, and what had happened, out of the nine cells, the two end cells had blown out. So now it's a broken parachute. He's got a broken neck, and I'm squishy. And um, I, lo- I look down, I look up, and I, I said, hey, Mike, um, this parachute's broken. I got to cut this away, meaning I got to pull it to drop us and pop another one. He grabbed his hand with both hands and leaned back, and he goes, please, Nisro, don't cut this away. I think my head will fall off. <laughs> so I said, all right. We're just going to land this one. So we did whatever. And we came in faster than we should have. And we're both laying there, still connected. And he just goes, yeah, so um, I think that's my last jump of the day. (laughs) And I said, cool. Can I borrow your boxers? Because mine are going in the dumpster. But not not every jump is that eventful. They normally go out um, go off without a hitch. They're fun. It's always fun to jump out of a plane. It's safe. The parachutes work. Uh, usually, you pack your own. Have someone else a, a parachute rigger pack your reserve. Uh, I've never actually gone to my reserve before. I did have the one with the bundle that uh, almost killed me, but that was just because of the uh, the different systems together and the only part of it opening. I was able to cut that bundle and survive that. Um, most of the time, though, it's, it's good uh, working on tactics, working on communication. you got to figure you're jumping with your radios on, and you need to be able to talk to each other. Uh, as a lead jumper, I would um, go out first and then talk guys, you know, where where we're heading in every 1,000 feet or so. I would give them an update on speed and whatnot. In case, if a jumper's lost on a night jump, if you're if you're lost, if you're listening to the lead jumper, you can hear his, his speed and distance, look at your speed and distance, and you can sort of make an idea, a, a general idea of where he is. And um, you will get closer together the the closer you get to the ground, which sounds scary. But once you learn how to drive your canopy, get in line with each other, it's, it's fine. Um, the only other incident that we sort of had with uh, with skydiving on a hey-ho, on a day hey-ho, again, thank God, is when we almost got hit by an airplane. Uh, and the way that worked is before you jump, you have to fill out paperwork with local airports, anyone who's going to be flying anywhere nearby. And that's for obvious reasons to tell them where you're going to be, um, where you're going to have jumpers at what time. And our our day profile for a hey-ho from... Um, from our altitude to uh, to where we're going to land the drop zone, it crossed the path of airplanes coming into um, Tucson International Airport. So uh, we did a jump one time, and uh, we're getting on. It's daytime, so it's fun. It's when it's a beautiful day, which Arizona a lot of the times is. Um, we're, we're we get online. We're all in front of uh, all getting you know one after another. And uh, I was a lead jumper. We're heading towards the drop zone. When we heard the drop zone safety officer say something about there's an airplane, and he read the um, he read the heading, and he said uh, that's going to be coming from your left to right, and uh, so I was looking below myself because there's crop dusters and whatnot out there. You can see anything. It's, it's you can see other planes and stuff, but uh, this at the time there was a thing called U.S. Air and U.S. Air, Airways, um, and. Uh, the joke that I tell is I could tell it was U.S. Air not by what it said on the side of the plane. I could tell by the name tag on the pilot's <laughs> chest, which isn't true. Um, but that thing, so everyone's kind of looking around, and there was a point where I think one of the the, uh, the bundle masters saw it, and he was going to cut away. and just He was like, there's a reserve static line on your chute that when you cut away your main, it will automatically pull your reserve, but you could 
uh, unhook that. And uh, then you have to manually do it. And he, he was, I mean, again, this is all what he said when we got on the ground. He unhooked it so that he could potentially go into free fall just to get away from this plane. And it it was, it was didn't look or sound anything like you'd think. And it wasn't right in front of me, but it was the same altitude. It was close enough to be like, holy shit. But uh, it zipped past like an air shark, just woof, fast as, you know, an airplane would fly. And it, uh, it zipped past us and then... We watched. I watched it fly away, and I was like, "That's kind of neat." I wonder, I wonder if we're going to hit the the what do they call it a jet wash or whatever comes out of the end. Then sure enough, we're just get bouncing around the turbulence and the the few jokes come over the air, and uh, yeah, it's like you know whatever this it, it we it, it just it just how how it goes sometimes. Sometimes you sometimes you have a good jump. Sometimes you almost uh, get hit by an airplane. But the point I'm making is um, the skydiving is fun. I would recommend the wind tunnel if you're afraid of flying. I'm uh, sorry, afraid of uh, skydiving. Even if you're afraid of flying, I still think you should skydive. It's good. But get get one of those courses, uh, get a tandem or two, and just check it out. Um, <laughs> and then take a, take a course and get your own. You'll jump with 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 people that'll jump with you. And, and make, you know, riding the canopy in is up to you. But it's uh, it's pretty cut and dry. Turn pull right, turn right, turn pull left, turn left, both down, and you can flare and all that good stuff. Um, uh, I had a friend. Um, talk somebody into doing this he would he would jump civilian drop zones on uh the weekends you know make a little extra money and you get a tip it's kind of nice when you're even you're a single dude go out to the drop zone get some jumps uh you know chicks dig the tandem master so you maybe you meet someone <laughs> i wasn't doing it but a buddy of mine was and he said uh, he had a dude a bunch of dudes show up and they were frat guys and uh you know, still a little hungover from the night before, but they were they wanted to jump. He had a bunch of the, the, a bunch of guys, a bunch of girls at college age, and and uh, he asked the guy, um, my buddy asked the dude that was going to get tandem. He said, "So why 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 decided why did you decide to do this today?" And he said, uh, "Oh, I've always wanted to skydive." And my buddy said, "Oh, make no mistake, you're not skydiving. I'm skydiving. I'm just putting you on the front of me. <laughs> I'm just going to wear you like a suit." <laughs> Why don't you put a little more money down and get the uh, get the get the long course and we could jump together and have a real skydive? He actually used the guy's ego against him, which is pretty funny. But uh, it's it's fun, it's fair, and again, it's to the point where um, it's dangerous. But but you don't you don't learn much or get any experience from just staying in your comfort zone. You got to get out of it a little bit. You got to go on an adventure. When when things when things seem bad. Don't do anything too drastic, but go on an adventure. Do something you've always wanted to do. You know, the, do the shark diving thing. I, I would tell people when I uh, when I got back to the states, I'm like, if you need to just go on an adventure for the uh, for the guys, just go to Thailand and it'll take care of itself. <laughs> for the girls, go to Norway um, because that's just a cool place, and, and you know, lots of good looking dudes there. <laughs> We went to Norway. We were training with the Jaegers over there one time, and you know we'd be out in a bar in Norway, and like elbow a buddy, like, "Hey, man, I'm not, you know, not not for nothing, but look how good looking that dude is." <laughs> so go on an adventure and um, get out of your comfort zone once in a while. Don't be afraid to ask questions when you don't understand. And uh, like we said about telling the truth, try to be honest with yourself with everyone else. If you want to, if you want to be fast, slow down. If you want to be good, do something a thousand times. Want to be great, 10,000 times. And you're never out of the fight.